Randy Frazee, he wrote a book entitled Making Room for Life, Trading Chaotic Lifestyles for Connected Relationships. And as the title implies, the author wants to challenge us to actually deepen our relationships in our home, in our neighborhood, and also in the church. He points out that when God said, it is not good for man to be alone, and yesterday in our partnership class, we actually looked at that first thing. It was actually listed as the first not good in the Old Testament. But when God said that, it was more than just rationale for marriage that Adam needed a wife. It was underscoring our need for building community with others. So Frazee, he cites studies that show that a sense of community is essential not only for a meaningful life, but actually for good health. And he said there was research conducted on 232 people who had cardiac surgery. And of those patients, 21 died within six months. And this is what the study said. Two significant mortality predictors that emerged from the study were a lack of participation in social or community groups. And then, I love this one, the absence of strength and comfort from religion. So it's good to hear that being mentioned in print. He cites a report indicating that social activity can predict cardiac mortality as strongly as elevated cholesterol levels. So their studies show that the social isolation contributes to illness and death as much as smoking. So then I was thinking, so if you feel that you must smoke, like don't do it alone, make sure you smoke in a group, and that would lessen the effects of either of those. But the studies verify what we've all observed, that the happiest people have good friends, and God created us with a connection requirement that we've nearly lost today. Because families used to spend a lot of closer time together, time where they relaxed. But now we're so busy with all our extracurricular activities. The family dinner where everybody sat down together has been replaced with fast food. And it's either eaten in a noisy restaurant or it's eaten in the car as we rush to the next activity. So there was a plus about COVID-19. It actually forced us all to be at home with our families and to connect a little better. The negative was all of those that had children that were school age and they're trying to work from home and then trying to keep Johnny doing the homework that the teacher has assigned. So there was a struggle in that way. But people in neighborhoods used to develop friendships naturally, but now we have privacy fences everywhere, and we have heat pumps, which create nice cool air in the summertime, so we stay inside our homes. We used to actually hang out more on our front steps in the summer. It was hot inside, so you would sit out in the front steps where it was cooler, and then you would talk to your neighbors as they walked by but now we're in where that cool air is. And the garage door, it's a horrible thing because you go in, you push a button, up comes the garage door, you drive in, you press the button and close the garage door, and then you just walk into your house. Occasionally, we have grandmothers visit us from Nigeria. They're here because of the birth 
of a grandchild, and then they stay around for about five months to help around the home. And, and they will say, what, what's wrong with people in Canada? Everybody just stays in their own homes. In Nigeria, we're out in the streets, we're talking to one another. And I said, it used to be more like that 50 years ago. I, I can remember that, but we're getting away from that. So if we want to reduce stress and deepen relationships, we have to redefine our priorities and reduce some of our extracurricular activities. So we need to choose a lifestyle of conversation and community over a lifestyle of actually accumulation and competition. When you become a member of Halifax Christian Church, we want you to build some meaningful relationships in the church. We want the church to be more than just an hour, an hour and 10 minute event where you come in and then you just leave and go back to your hectic week. We want this to be a place where you build genuine community. And we want this to be a place where you have a circle of friends where you're cared for and where you're encouraged to walk with Christ and mature in that walk. And we want this to be a place where there is, is a group with whom you can be real. And I have that with the men's group that I lead on Wednesday evenings. I can, well, there's an English term, let my hair down a little. There's not much to let down. But I can just be one of the guys in that situation. And it's wonderful. So Acts 2.44 describes the church as that kind of place. All the believers were together and shared everything. They would sell their land and the things they owned and then divide the money and give it to anyone who needed it. The believers met together in the temple every day. They ate together in their homes, happy to share their food with joyful hearts. They praised God and were liked by all the people. And every day the Lord added those who were being saved to the group of believers. So when we look at the early church, they, they had one big gathering where the 3,000 plus came together. It was usually in the temple courts, an area that was big enough. But then they spent time in one another's homes. That's where they started to build that authentic community. And they would also meet in homes and pray when there was someone in need or, or someone in trouble. Because there was a time when the Apostle Peter was in prison and the believers were really concerned about his safety. So they got together in one of their homes and they prayed for him to be released. And then miraculously, Peter was released. And then he found out what had taken place, that these people were there praying for him. So we pick up in Acts 12, verse 12. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary the mother of John, who was called Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. And he knocks on the door, and the servant girl answered, and he said, hi, it's Peter. You can't be Peter. You're in jail. We're praying for you to get out of jail. They wouldn't believe that he was actually there. And I thought, don't you believe that your prayers are going to come true? But they gathered, they prayed whenever there was a need. We're in the midst of a series of messages entitled All In. And two weeks ago, we were given the challenge to make in-person worship a part of our weekly thing. And last week's challenge was for us to study God's word and to do it in community if possible. 
because God obviously intended for the church to be a, a community, not just an audience. So today's challenge is for you to make meaningful relationships in the church. And what is meant by meaningful relationships? John in chapter 13 said this, I give you a new command, love each other. You must love each other as I have loved you. All people will know that you are my followers if you love each other. So I think the church should be a place where the depth of our relationships grows beyond the casual and to the intimate. You can have a lot of casual relationships, people that you see on occasion and whose company you enjoy. And then you can have a handful of close relationships, people with whom you meet regularly, you eat with them, maybe you visit in their home occasionally, but you can only have a few intimate friends. And I shared this a number of years ago, what therapist Will Miller asks, and he said, who in your life has refrigerator rights? He said, who can come into your home and feel comfortable about going over to your refrigerator and getting all the ingredients for a sandwich and then going to your counter and making that sandwich for themselves? Doing all of that without asking for permission. He said, those are intimate friends or people with a lot of nerve, one or the other. But, and I'm trying to think, my kids don't even do that, so I need to work on this one so that people feel comfortable to do that in my home. There, when we look at Jesus, we see that he only had an inner circle of three disciples. Then he had the other nine, that was the next level. And then there were 120 people that were still dedicated to him at the time of his death. So not everyone is intended to be an intimate friend. But what we're encouraging is that you, as a member of this church, make an effort to develop some close personal friends within the church and just allow that process to take its course. Because far too many people have no meaningful relationships. And just like the Cheers sitcom, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's no one who knows their name. There's no one who's glad that they came other than the pastors. And, and we need to have more of you recognizing when someone's here and when they aren't here. So I don't like it when someone comes up to me and they say, you know that couple that were sitting in front of me for most of the last year? Like, we used to talk to them a little bit, say hello, but I never did get their name, and I've not seen them for three months. Do you know if there's anything wrong? And someone should know other than us. We need deeper relationships than that. Now, the church should also be a place where the extent of your relationships is expanding from local to universal. Your relationships with others should be an ever-widening circle. You start out by knowing maybe one or two in the church, and then after a few years, it might be 20 or 30. Then maybe you do something like go on a mission trip, or maybe uh, to our Maritime Christian Church family camp that takes place first weekend in August. There's their first advertisement. It's an amazing weekend, and you get to know more people. And then maybe you start developing friendships and a network of Christians all over the world. During my college years at Maritime Christian College in Charlottetown, we went to visit every Christian church within our fellowship. So we would travel on weekends and do that. 
And I ended up with this amazing network of people that I knew. And I know some of you are actually watching here this morning from the location that they live in around the Maritimes. And we need to avoid clicks. Don't get that three or four people that you know really well and then do everything with them and nothing with anyone else. Keep your small circle of friends, but include others along the way so that your Christian circle is ever expanding. So then the question we're going to look at is why are meaningful relationships important? Why did the Lord design the church to be a community and not an audience? Because maybe some of you have all kinds of people that you have as friends and you feel that you've got all kinds of meaningful relationships outside the church. You have family members, you have friends from childhood and you think that you just don't have time for anyone else. You've got more friends right now then you can give proper attention to. But the thing is, there are some things that you can get from Christian friends that you aren't likely to see with friends in the world. And the first one is that Christian friends encourage you when you are doing right. James actually used this scripture two weeks ago when he talked about the importance of meeting together for worship. But it's in Hebrews 10. Some people have gotten out of the habit of meeting together, but we must not do that. We should keep on encouraging each other, especially since you know that the day of the Lord's coming is getting nearer. So people in the world aren't going to encourage you to be generous. They're not going to encourage you to be praying. They're not going to encourage you to actually be forgiving other people. They're not going to encourage you to be faithful but Christian friends will enforce you in the right behavior. They will keep reinforcing that over and over again. And you'll be reminded that you're not the only one that disciplines your children. And you're not the only one that asks your children to check in as when they're out for the evening, just to let you know where they are and what's going on. Like one of my daughters was amazing like that. Everywhere she went, we just, it was a phone call. I'm now at so-and-so. I'm so-and-so. And I thought if she ever did anything wrong, I'm sure she would have called as well and said, this is what I'm doing right now. But we would discover from Christian friends that we're not that odd. Proverbs 27. Just as iron sharpens iron, friends sharpen the minds of others. And that's what we do for one another. Christian friends do something else. They pray for you when you face trials. The friends you have in the world may care about you. They may sympathize with you. But God's people will pray for you and they will spiritually empower you. James in chapter 5 said, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So those prayers that we have for one another, that we give for our close friends, are powerful. And I love seeing the way that uh, the members of our life groups reach out to the friends in their group. When one of them is sick, you see the others rallying around them and meeting their needs. When someone needs to move, 
you, I will see people from their life group there, helping them move. If there's a financial need, the group is there. If a wedding shower or a baby shower is required, guess who plans it? It used to be my wife and I, but now not anymore. The life groups just kind of take over for that. They look after their Christian friends. Here are the words that describe the relationship we're talking about. It's words like giving, being together, it's caring, meeting needs, it's unified, sharing, grace-filled. When you have an operation, or if your spouse gets sick, or your children disappoint you, or you have a loved one die, you'll want someone to come and pray and provide spiritual support. You'll need Christian friends, and that's what they'll do. And then Christian friends will do something else. They will actually confront you when you're wrong. And Jesus talked about this in Matthew 18. He said, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. So if your language starts slipping, or maybe your attitude gets a little sour, maybe your marriage is starting to be in danger, maybe your values erode, Christian friends will be the first ones to discern that and confront that. The others may see nothing wrong with, with what you're doing. But I, I like the way that Galatians 6.1 reminds us. It says, My spiritual brothers and sisters... If one of our faithful has fallen into a trap and is snared by sin, don't stand idle and watch his demise. Gently restore him, being careful not to step into your own snare. The worldly friends won't do that. Most casual friends, even Christian friends, won't do that. But close Christian friends will muster up the courage to confront you when you're wrong. And I love the last aspect of that verse, be careful not to step into your own snare. So don't get caught up in issues yourself. So we should be able to look at one another and say, look, my relationship with you is based on our common relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you violate that, I want to hold you accountable. And if I violate that, I want you to hold me accountable. And that's what close Christian friends do. And then Christian friends will forgive and restore when you repent. There was an incident where a man in the Corinthian church committed a horrendous sin, but he actually asked for forgiveness, and Paul said to the church to forgive him and restore him. There was no, forget it, buddy, that's a big one, you're not welcome back here. If you deeply offend people in the world... They'll hold a grudge against you, and they'll keep you at arm's length for some time. But Christians who really understand the grace of God in their lives will forgive, they will forget, and they will restore people back into that relationship with them. Like Paul wrote about it in Colossians 3. He said, bear with each other and forgive each other. If someone does wrong to you, forgive that person because the Lord forgave you. And I've seen Christian people offer that forgiveness and love to people over and over and over again. And they include people that have violated their trust. But they'll say, God extended grace to me, 
and I'm compelled to extend that grace to others. But there's one other benefit to the Christian community. Meaningful relationships are a positive testimony to the world. Jesus said in John chapter 13, all people will know you are my followers if you love each other. See, the world isn't impressed with our teaching. It's not impressed with our buildings. It's not impressed with our audio-visual, even though we have amazing stuff here. None of that impresses people. But they take note when Christian people love one another and care for one another. So it's the $23,000 that our church gave to people that were in need during this past year. It was also the other money and gifts that individuals would have just given directly to those people that the church didn't even know about. It's the $52,000 that we gave to worldwide missions. We want the fellowship of the church to be so attractive, so contagious, so loving, so fun that the world is drawn into fellowship. Because when you love the Lord, you love his people, and that is an amazing testimony. Francis Schaeffer wrote, Our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. And it's so true. The world, they're watching us. They're watching everything that we do, how we interact with other Christians especially, and how we interact with other people in the world. But if we have those close personal relationships and we are treating one another amazingly, people will see that and it will impact them. So how are meaningful relationships developed? Paul wrote, In Romans 14, so then let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. So meaningful relationships, they take effort. They they don't just happen automatically. To develop meaningful relationships, we have to make every effort to overcome the fears that might hold us back. We fear rejection. What if I reach out to people and they don't respond back and want to be in that close friendship? Or we fear overcommitment. We've got so many time pressures on us now. How can we fit anybody else into our life? Or sometimes the greatest fear is being out of our comfort zone. We're afraid that we'll make the effort, that we'll stick our necks out there and... uh, not be met with a good response. Or maybe we're afraid that we'll get stuck for the night with people that we don't enjoy being with because who wants to get trapped in a boring conversation? Have you, my conversations, my daughters are laughing. They're they're not boring when I'm talking at the table in our home, in my home. So have you ever gone, sorry about that, Have you ever gone to someone else's house and you're there for a gathering of 15 to 20 people and you drive up to the house and they have a beautiful driveway but nobody has parked in it. They're all parked along the street. And at first you're thinking, oh, they're just being gracious. They're allowing those that have mobility issues to park in the driveway. But it's not that. They don't want to be trapped. If they don't enjoy themselves and they want to get out of that, they want to be able to leave. But positive results 
come from meaningful relationships, and it's worth the risk. So here are some ways that you can make an effort to actually build meaningful relationships. And the first one is sign up for one of our life groups and give it a try for a month or so and see if you get to know people. And maybe even start your own group. James, our associate pastor, is now overseeing the life group ministry. Talk to him if you would like to be a part of that. Speak up when someone asks if there are any prayer requests and say, well, I'm undergoing this medical test tomorrow and I'm a little nervous about it. Could you pray for me? When you're humble and transparent, it's amazing how people will start to move closer to you. And ask the person who sits in the row in front of you pretty well every week to ask them to go out for lunch. Ask them to go out for lunch with your family today or next week and you'll scare them to death. <laughs> or, or stick around after the service for 10 to 15 minutes and speak to people. Strike up a conversation with someone. Or visit with someone who's sick and tell them that you're praying for them. Or volunteer to serve in some way with others, to be involved in some ministry. Send an encouraging note to someone that has experienced a victory. And maybe it's someone that has received a raise or a promotion at work and just say congratulations. Or maybe their child, the team that they're on, the sports team they're on has just won a championship. And just congratulate them. And at the very least, at the end of this service, share your name and cell phone number with the people that have been sitting near you for the last few months or, or maybe few years and tell them to call you if they ever need help and, and tell them also to call you if you're not around for three weeks so that they can find out if there's anything wrong in your life. Chances are they'll give you your number and your phone. And at the last, first service... People didn't rush out as quickly. I was standing there kind of by myself for a while because people were talking and interacting with one another before they left. The Bible commands us to practice hospitality. So here, as a goal, we want you to develop a core number of people who feel totally at home in your house. And we want you to make a commitment to build meaningful relationships that will encourage you to do what is good to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. The closest friend that we could ever have is Jesus Christ. And earthly friends may abandon us, and occasionally they're going to let us down, but Jesus is a friend who sticks closer than any sibling. He never fails us. He never abandons us. And Jesus sacrificed his life to save you. But remember, on that final night, as the night that he was arrested and just the day before he was crucified, he took his friends into the Garden of Gethsemane with him. He left eight of his disciples because they're now down to 11. Judas has run away from the group. And then he took another three further into the garden and he asks them to pray. So if Jesus needed friends around him, then chances are you need them as well. The Bible says there's no greater way to love than to give your life for your friends. Jesus wants to be your Savior. He wants to be your Lord. And he wants to be your friend. And he wants to do that today. 
Make that decision. Let us know about that decision. And we'll guide you through the steps that you need to take.